morning, everyone. It's good to see your presence here today. And I trust the Lord will have his blessing, his grace, his mercy, and his peace that it would rest upon us here during this camp out message. I count it a privilege to bring that to you here this morning. Even though it's somewhat humbling and I think one of the goals that was stated on our um, on the sheet with the schedule was that there would be some edifying and some that type of thing that would happen during the during the camp out and so that can continue um, today I think as as far as the purpose of that would carry into today as well certainly you know the Bible says to consider one another consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works we can do that a lot better if we're with one another. At least, I think I, I do a little more consideration of who I'm with if, if I'm sitting across from them. And some of the conversations you can have at a setting like the camp out, and I think we already did, is is that it it offers an opportunity to maybe engage in some conversations that we wouldn't necessarily have at other times and so I think that's good and in the, in the light of that and that verse comes before that more familiar verse where it says to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and then two on my mind some this morning is is Psalms chapter one that was read here and I think of of you know what are our leanings you know, where are we walking? Where are we sitting? Where are we standing? What are the tendencies that, we, that would gravitate our, our desires and our purposes? You know, I have some trees on my property that if they would fall, I think I know which direction they're going to go. And recently in studying the, the uh, story of Korah, who rebelled against Moses and against the Lord, and how the how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, swallowed up those people. It said, and and not only Korah, but all that appertained unto them, all that appertained unto that. In other words, people that may have not really been vocal or or the the pushers of that rebellion, but Maybe they were just kind of tagging along and see what would happen and hoping that, that, that the Lord wouldn't account them with that unrighteousness. Well, he certainly did, and I think it behooves us to consider our, our leanings and our tendencies. Is it toward the things of the Lord? <clears throat> and I appreciate our congregation because I think we are, we are pressing onward. As a group, as a brotherhood, we are like the Bereans to to large extent where we pursue the things of God in his word and what he has given to us. I hope to do some of that here this morning. I'm, I'm inclined maybe not to talk too long this morning. Um, we've been together a lot and the clock is seems like it's way ahead of where it's supposed to be because we started later. So I'll see how the Lord would, would lead me in that. I thought of 
you know, camping. Some of us are, uh, maybe we have some variations in, in how much we enjoy that or not. And so we, we go to some trouble to camp and we bring some things along and, and to accommodate what we face there in a little more raw and rugged environment. But I thought, you know, in a, in a real sense, we are camping in this life. There's a song that says, every day I'm camping in the land of Canaan. I think maybe that would describe more maybe the children of Israel in the wilderness. There's that thought, you know, that camping, of course, is temporary. We, as much as we enjoy it or don't enjoy it, we, we do look forward to eventually going home. I had some youngsters that weren't done. They were finished. They expressed sorrow that it was over this morning. <clears throat> so maybe there's a, a parallel in that to where we, we get to attach to this life because we are in a temporary state. We seek a better country where God creates all things new. And then I thought, you know, when we do camp, we bring along a lot of the, uh, the things that we enjoy when we're not camping to make it seem like less camping. So, you know, if you took that to extremes, you wouldn't even be camping after a while. You wouldn't be experiencing the, the ruggedness and the rawness of of life, and I think that's appropriate even in our day. But in all of that, we, we never want to become so attached to the things of this life and have it so so good, uh, symbolically, that we want to return to Egypt. You know, we don't want to long for the things that God has de- delivered us from or, or lose our, our desire and our, our uh, that longing in our heart to, for his appearing. The Lord says he's coming back for those who long for his appearing. But, you know, thinking a little more about what is it about camping that, that we like or enjoy or that, that appeals to us, and maybe it's just a change that comes, you know, we need change sometimes to get out of our routines and to open our minds, but... One thing I thought about when you're in, in that situation, like we were down at the river, and we could have been outside this morning. I was thinking what that would be like to preach in, a, in an open environment, in a large environment, if that would affect the way I'm able to do it, especially if there's noise. I may have to lift my voice like a trumpet, like it says in Isaiah. I wasn't sure if I was going to have to face that or not with the, with the trains and the rain and the water and what, you know, but even in that, there's an openness that I think we enjoy. There's an openness where, you know, I'm thankful for a roof where, where it's going to be raining. But at other times, we, we enjoy the largeness of an environment, the freedom. And it gives us a sense of, of latitude and being outdoors in that way. And David spoke of this in one of his psalms where he, he says, the Lord has brought me into a large place, an open place. And even when he was in dis- distress, he said, the Lord hath enlarged my heart. So maybe even in the times when we're feeling closed in on and 
and contained, there's a, a, some of that that the Lord would bring us through to enlarge our inner man. So I'd like to turn for a message this morning to, to Revelation chapter 3. In that thought of things being opened up to us. Revelations chapter 3, verse 8. The Lord says here, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. I would like to think a little bit this morning on the open door aspect. God saying here that he is setting before us an open door. What does that say to us? What is meant by that statement? And I kind of broke it down into three things that we could talk about. And there is a divinity, a, a supernatural, the, the person of, of Christ. So I thought of, you know, Jesus said, I am the door. And so in a sense, when he says, I have set before you an open door, he says, I'm setting myself before you. And so you have a divine person. You have that represented by the open door. You have the divinity of the person of Jesus Christ. And then you have a divine purpose. There's a purpose that awaits us in walking through that door. And then thirdly, you have a divine place as you enter into that door. I believe it leads into realms of, of things that are better. And so, you know, that door, it has a divine origin. It is set before us. It is an arrangement that the Lord has provided. It's not something that man has conjured up or has a way of, of making happen or by some vain imagination that he's going to walk through that door. But it is Jesus talking expressly here to us, I believe. These chapters, this, this chapter in my Bible was written in red. And I think there's there's a basis for that. It is the Lord speaking to us prophetically through the through John, the uh, the prophet here in Revelation. In John chapter ten, verse seven, Jesus says, "I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them." And so maybe. You've seen a, an illustration of a sheepfold. I know I have. There's where um, someone, an artist, drew a rectangle or a square pen made out of rocks or stones or whatever they used in that day. Something fairly secure, I would think. And then at one place in that wall, there was an opening. And I just saw a picture depicting this last week where the sheep were in there 
and the shepherd was sitting in the door of that opening. He was sitting sideways in the door, I guess to where he could keep an eye both on the sheep and on the outside world, the enemies that would be out there. That is our Lord Jesus. He is the door. The door has two purposes. One is to to keep the bad out. The other is to, to keep the good in. And to provide protection. Psalms 27.5 says, in, in times of trouble, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, and the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. When Jesus is the door, in that picture I didn't see a swinging door, I just saw a person. He's the shepherd of the sheep, and you can be confident when he when he keeps the door and when he is there as a closed door that you are safe. And when he opens that door and says it's safe to come through and it's time to come out, you too are safe there again. There is freedom and liberty at that point to go out and, and to find pasture, it talks about. And so I like the thought of, of Jesus being the door and, and inviting us here to walk through that open door, a door that no man can shut, he says. And then we have, I think, represented in that door, a divine opportunity. The thought of this being an opportunity to walk through, it's an invitation. Nobody's pushing you to walk through that open door. You know, there was a story I heard recently of a, of a man that, that had some animals he kept penned up most of the time. And he went to let them out, and they wouldn't go out. They didn't want out. They were scared to go out. I don't know if it was rabbits or, or what it was, but that, that can be a, an animal's tendency sometimes until they, they're so used to being penned up and contained that even when the opportunity, which would be better to be out in that freedom, were probably even more a natural environment, they they can't they can't absorb that. They they don't want to take that opportunity. We have some parakeets at home that are like that. They're in a pen, and if you open the door, they won't change. They'll sit there all day in their pen, and like they've been for year after year. I don't really understand how a bird enjoys that, but they seem like they do, and they don't want to go out. And so um, I think a door here in, in Revelation 3 can speak of a, an opportunity that we, we can take. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, it says there was a, a great door, an effectual door, that opened up to me, and, and the Apostle Paul was describing this in his thoughts, in his, his plans, in his letters to the people. In 1 Corinthians 16, I invite you there. We'll read some verses here in chapter 16, 1 Corinthians.
Okay, I don't I don't think I have the right either the right. I'll look at Second Corinthians. May have been that. Well, that book doesn't go to <laughs> to uh, that far. So, but there was a, a passage where the Apostle Paul was laying out some plans and some wishes. If any of you find that passage, where he talks about um, some things he desired, but it was not things that was set in stone. It was. It was things that were yet to be confirmed to him. And, and one of it was the man Apollos, that he desired that Apollos would come unto them, but Apollos had other plans. And he had other desires. But Paul sensed in that setting that there was a door of opportunity for him to share the gospel, an effectual door, which meant that that the, the, the opportunity would, in his mind, would bear much fruit, and very possibly God had revealed that to him. That there was a door that would open unto much increase in spite of the adversity, and he mentions that in that passage. I just wrote down the wrong passage, I guess. But First, first, sixteen twelve. Okay, well, that's the one I, I said at first, but somehow when I looked at it, it didn't. Okay. Well, there you have First uh, Corinthians sixteen, verse six. Yes, that's it. I think I said chapter twelve or something, but maybe that's. Um, it said, Paul said in verse six that it, it may be that I will abide, yea, in winter with ye, that ye may bring me on your journey whithersoever I go, for I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit if the lord permit so we we can make tentative plans to to doors that we think may be open but in all of that we don't just abandon our sense of of the lord's will or her, or the permission of the lord and then he says but i will turn i will tarry at ephesus until pentecost for a great door and effectual is opened unto me and there are many adversaries now, if Timotheus come and see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, for he will come when he shall have convenient time. So I see in that it's, it's the last chapter and, and Paul is kind of arranging his thoughts, some final thoughts concerning some things, concerning some wishes. But we see he had some flexibility in that. And that stood out to me. Because some of the doors that open unto us, I, you know, it, it may not be a definite thing. Now in the case of, of Revelation, if the Lord is standing there opening the door, then, then certainly I think what the Lord is offering to us would be the right opportunity. But I think a little bit of, of some of the opportunities presented to the people in the Old Testament 
in some of the Old Testament stories. Doors that were opened unto a man or a, a group of people or defining moments that were kind of make or break situations. You know, the children of Israel were given to wandering 40 years in the wilderness. Why was that? Because they had failed to walk through that door of opportunity. Caleb was a man that stood out in that setting and said, we are well able to overcome this land. It is an exceeding good land. It indeed floweth with milk and honey. And then he said, Rebel ye not against the Lord. Fear ye not the people, for they are bread to us. And then he said something that I really like, and it really stands out to me, about maybe we can apply to our enemies. He said their defense is departed from them. Their defense is departed from them. What did he see that made him understand that to be? And in a real sense, maybe we're scared what's laying on the other side of the door and the things the Lord may cause to face or to walk into. But I think with Caleb's understanding, he saw a door of opportunity and he saw also the state of the enemy that they were not to be feared. In fact, they were bread. They were sustenance. I don't know what that meant. But in, in regard to the people of the land, I believe he saw something that the other 10 didn't. But none, nonetheless, the, the majority prevailed in that event. You know, there was another door I thought about for an individual that came about in the life of Balaam. Now, it was about nine weeks ago or so that Brother Eugene brought a message here on the lessons from the life of Balaam. And, you know, but I've, I've heard the story of Balaam often, and there still seems to re remain a little mystery about what his problem was because he seemed like a good man. He said many of the, the right things. Where did he go wrong? And he thought, I thought one day, I'm, I'm going to sit down and read this in, from the book of Numbers. It's in Numbers chapter 14. I'm going to see if I can detect where Balaam went wrong. Maybe it's uh, chapter... 22. Where did it start out where he began to make the wrong move? Maybe it was very subtle, a very subtle wrong move. In that his true colors began to show. So I thought I'd talk about this a little bit because I saw something I think maybe maybe a key to understanding what went wrong with Balaam. And it happened fairly early on in, in Numbers chapter 22. 
And interestingly enough, the children of Israel were now commanded to wander the wilderness. But even in that, they, they had a strength. They defeated a king, was a king Sion or, or somebody of the Amorites, and it, it struck fear in the uh, king of Moab, Balak. And he saw that even in their compromised state, their failure in the, to possess the land, yet God somehow still had his hand on these people, and they, became a, they were still a threat wherever they went. And, and so Moab saw that, and he saw he was not able to defeat. And so he, he wanted to fight his battle against Israel using a supernatural, I guess he esteemed some kind of supernatural means. And so he called on this prophet Balaam to do that and to curse the people. You know, I guess in his mind that that would cause something in the unseen realm to to uh, cause them to stumble and to fall. So he sends messengers to Balaam, and ba- uh, Balaam greets them. Balaam seems to uh, be cordial with them. Verse 8, he says, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. A key verse there is, is, as the Lord shall speak to me, that thought. And so we see when, when Balaam inquired of the Lord, the Lord told, told him that thou shalt not go with these men, thou shalt not you know, associate with them in that way. Thou shalt not curse the people. And God said, for they are blessed. They are blessed in spite of their failure. God still pronounced blessing on these people that failed to possess the land. Now, what Balaam didn't do is when he, he rose up the next morning to speak to these messengers, he didn't tell them everything that God had told him. He simply said, for the Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. He doesn't give the full word of the Lord. He doesn't say that the Lord has told me to, that he has blessed these people or that that, that has taken place. You know, maybe that's a small thing, but I see in that there was inadequate communication on the part of, of Balaam. And then furthermore, these men take that word that Balaam gave them that the Lord refuses to let me come with you or to return. And they reveal to the king nothing about the Lord. They just say Balaam refuses to come with us. He didn't say why. He didn't say the, the word of the Lord. And so there was a breakdown there in the message that came to the king. And so the king says, well, you know, Balaam's just being stubborn. I can handle Balaam. And so he, he re- repeats this pros- progress. Now, the thing I want to, to get to is up till now, I think Balaam was could have been okay, but that second time that those men came to him and repeated 
their requests, and they were sent men more honorable than them, and and so on. They he kind of upped the the prize and the the situation to convince Balaam, because see the the king was not told that in doing this he would be fighting against the Lord. He was just saying. He's fighting against Balaam. Balaam refuses to come to us. He should have been told, the Lord has blessed these people. The Lord has told me not to curse it. Therefore, I'm not acting on my own. I'm acting in accordance with the divine God. And that is he that you are fighting against, Balak. You are fighting against God, not against me. I think that that message may have carried a little more um, impact with the king. And so... Balaam again says, I will inquire of the Lord after the Lord had already told him what to do. And in a sense, I believe there in verse 19, he says that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. The Lord had already told him. And so in a way, I think this is tempting the Lord a little bit on the part of Balaam. At that point, the Lord speaks to him again and, and says, if the men come to call thee, and I understand that word if, if the men call could also be translated to mean since. Since the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. The Lord, you could say, opens the door. Or does he? Does he really open that door to Balaam? I'm reminded of that prophet that went to a king. It was, I think it was a prophet, Micaiah. And the king said, I don't like this prophet because he prophesies evil concerning me. And yet he is a prophet of the Lord because one of the men had inquired of the king, is there not yet a man, a prophet of the Lord? So apparently he was insinuating that the other 400 prophets were not of the Lord. How significant of a statement was that? And so Micaiah agrees to meet the king and to give him a word from the Lord. But when he meets the king and gives the, the king that word, he says, go and prosper just like the other prophets had said. Go and prosper. Well, he was being sarcastic. The king realized, I think the king was smarter than Balaam. And I thought of that in regard to what the Lord is telling Balaam here. Go with these men. Was he just testing Balaam at that point? Because Balaam went, and the reason I say that is in verse 22. It says, God's anger was kindled because he went.
Okay. So these men showed up and told Balaam what they wanted. And my understanding is that he inquired of God and they stayed there again that night. I don't know if they pushed him into that decision or not. And I don't know what his motivation necessarily was, but I think he wanted to please both sides. He wanted to please everybody. And I think he mostly wanted to, to please the king of Balak in that situation because he did not fully reveal that this was the Lord's word to him. So my take is that Balaam walked through a door that wasn't necessarily open a, d a divine opening. Yes, the Lord said go, but then he said his anger was kindled. So there seems to be, you know, God is not the author of confusion. Does God sometimes test us by what door becomes open to us, or, or apparently, to reveal our, our true colors? And so um, that, that spoke to me, and I don't claim to know all the ins and outs of what was happening there. But um, I think Balaam failed early on, maybe earlier on than what we realize in all of that. Maybe what we perceive as permission from God to do a thing is, is more like a test. And um, I think the calling in, in that is to, to not make a, a false move without full consideration of, of the context uh, and how that word came to us. Some just say, you know, that Balaam wanted the money and that was the only motivation. And I think you, you would could learn that from the New Testament scriptures concerning him, that he, he loved the wages of unrighteousness, we're told in Second Peter. And then he also taught the, uh, the children of Israel, you know, there was that doctrine of Balaam that talks about where he, he maybe he set himself in such a way that he, he did not violate God's word directly, but in the spirit of pleasing the king, he advised him concerning another way in which he could uh, interest the king or achieve the, the goals of the enemy. And so there was that error of Balaam spoken to in Jude. <clears throat> in the, in the uh, decisions we have to make in the doors of opportunity that present themselves to us. <clears throat> 
Our strength, I believe, is, is in the Holy Spirit of God. You know, you have that in the book of Acts where it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do thus and so. <clears throat> I have set before thee an open door. I'd like to think a little bit of this now in the context of a divine place. Certainly in Revelations, it's, it's speaking of future things. You could say a place of escape. A place, a place of refuge. In the end, it is a place of provision. Because in Re Revelation chapter 4, I notice with interest just the next chapter, verse 1. The, the revelator John says, I heard as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Well, the first part of that verse, I'm sorry I missed. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a door, a door was opened in heaven. And I believe there, there was that door that the Lord opened, that no man shutteth. And the Lord also says there's, there's a door that he shutteth, and no man openeth. So, Maybe you're, today you're wishing God would open a door in your life. He can do that. He can, he can bring you out of the miry clay, out of, a, out of a horrible pit. He can set your feet on a rock and establish your goings, as it says in Psalms 40. And I believe as we enter the door, that God is open to us, that the glory of the Lord will shine through. The light of God will come upon us. We, we had a, a trailer there for our camper at the camp out. And the first night it was cold, so we closed the whole thing up. And we got by fairly well with that. And then morning came but we didn't know it because it was still dark in there and some of my boys said well he asked me why why is the night so long why is it dark so long and so we stirred around and i pushed open the back of that door and of course it's a fairly large um, door the light just flooded in because the sun had come up it was bright we didn't realize it, but all we saw was the darkness. And so I think the, the, the Lord's able to flood our, our soul with his light as we walk through the door, as we anticipate his opening that door to us.